it made, it made me think of other people. Like my friend was mentioning that James Brown didn't have any musical background or didn't have a music, didn't have a mm -hmm. traditional musical vocabulary. So he was able to kind of, you know, he, and I actually think that there's a lot of similarities between the two of them as composers. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, they're composing from the, from the rhythm up. Um, and so a lot of mm -hmm. James Brown songs, especially in the late sixties, they sort of sound very similar because I think he's just sort of like interested in, you know, certain rhythms, but he, however he communicated with his band, I mean, it probably was not always, you know, pleasant, but he probably, you know, was beatboxing or having people, you know, counting that. Right. I don't know. I'd like to see footage. And then Warren Nero, uh, just around the same time, apparently, she didn't have a traditional musical vocabulary. So she apparently used a, a color system with her producer for some of her, I guess, her, her great albums on Columbia. Um, that, and so it's like you have these people who are, and, and then on the other hand, um, I read about this in a book I reviewed by a great, um, a great Nashville uh, music journalist. I want to make sure I name check him correctly. Uh, Daryl, what is it? Daryl, I'm sorry. It's, this is my, where my tiredness come from. Um, come on, what are you? Um, Daryl, oh God, this is like terrible. Uh, it's it's cool, man. We can we can. Uh, Dar oh, Daryl Sanders. So he wrote a book about uh, the making of Blonde on Blonde, and uh, so so to oh, um, okay. and the, these musicians they were doing. Like these session musicians, they'd go from session to session. That time was of the essence, and so Charlie McCoy, who was who you you would recognize his parts from from like he plays the flamenco guitar on um, um, Desolation Row or that that, that okay. classical right. guitar break on Just Like a Woman. Um, he had he he figured out a way to notate uh, chords in terms of numbers because they 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 didn't have time to do charts, so. So it was. Mm -hmm. So he made the session players even more valuable because they would come in and they all knew this number system, and they could actually, uh, you know, somebody says in this book, oh, it would shave us, you know, fifteen minutes a song, which is a lot of time for those guys because they wanted to get to the next session. But you know, right. just imagine like the efficiency of that compared to like you know what we're talking about with Van Lee, where he's whistling, he's he's playing, he's quote-unquote playing the saxophone he's quote-unquote playing the piano he's singing i mean he's just sort of like i mean you know uh like he, he's, he's doing everything to get it across but he's probably not giving them chords um or using right. a color system i mean so it's just it's just neat to think about the the ways that people who we you know you know you, you listen to their stuff and it's just got this you know i mean and a trap mask couple because pretty unconventional, but James Brown and Laura Nero are very, I mean, it's, it's complex, but it's more, it's sort of more, you know, danceable, I guess you'd say, but just to think of them not really having, mm -hmm. you know, the vocabulary to say, well, you know, now we're going from this, you know, it would be like me, you know, if I was trying to like have a bit, you know, direct a, you know, like tell a band what to do, I'd, you know, I'd have to say like, well, slow down here. And they'd, they'd say, well, how much? And I'd right. be like, well, you know, not so much that you totally stop, but pretty slow, you know, or whatever. So um, it's you know, it's just fascinating to me that he was able to get this across with 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 these, um, um, you know, very you know by by kind of you know sort of using these 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 tools that he didn't even really know how to play. I mean, maybe he was a really great whistler. We don't, I don't know. I haven't heard I haven't heard audio of his whistling. 
but um but i you know we know that he was an unconventional saxophone player i don't think that he played then and we know he didn't play the piano in a traditional sense and you know either he was kind of beatboxing on the drums or he was i mean maybe he was sitting down at the kit i don't know i mean but but there are there are maybe just because French is the one who's really done the breakdown on these songs, but it seems like to me, like there's a, a few songs where he's like, Oh yeah, Don, Don wrote that drum part. So I don't know what he means by that. If John, if, if, if right. sat down at the drum kit or if he just, but he, he knew enough to, to get across to, to French, what he wanted for French to say, like that was, that was Don's part. Um, so it's very inefficient. I'm, I'm sure. I think I said this last time. It was almost inefficient on purpose to throw the to throw the, the musicians <laughs> right. off. And they had they they. I mean, this is sort of the opposite of a Nashville studio session where you want to get in and get out in you know a couple hours and do five songs. Um, this is the you know sort of the polar opposite of that, where you're learning the same songs over an eight month period. Um, but you know, it, it worked for, for this album. Um, yeah. If, if the number system was a, a design to increase efficiency, then this, this system is, is designed to hobble efficiency. (laughs) There's no, no efficient way of conveying information in the way that he, that he set up for this, this album. It was, um, purely, purely based on, uh, his his uh, moments of inspiration on these instruments that he either barely knew how to play or did not in fact know how to play at all uh i'm fascinated by this color system that laura nero used i'm gonna have to look that up after the show that implies an almost like synesthetic mm-hmm. i know and that's all, and that's all that, i found it was just in some kind of wikipedia entry i forget which on which you know just one of her albums like the ey or uh new york tentative that's a kind of classic trio but there is a vocab, there is a biography of her um, out there. But I mean, you think of Laura Nero. I mean, just these totally complex vocal arrangements. Uh, I mean, just mm-hmm. very. I mean, just you know, it, I said it was danceable, but it's also kind of not. I mean, it's sort of like whoa. It's just you know, and thinking of how many songwriters she she influenced, you know, directly at that time who were young, you know, Elton John and you know all these people who grew up listening to Laura Nero records, and to think that she was like doing it like. I mean, where she was like, well, this is this is a dark purple song. I mean, I just don't, you know, it's just like, um, it's like, how did she do it? And, and I wonder the same thing about Van Vliet. How did he do it? Because nobody, nobody, I mean, people, you know, a lot of people say, and, 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 and I mean, the band did a lot of the kind of arrangements, but the, the core composition, everybody credits to Van Vliet. So how, mm-hmm. It's like how did he how did he do it? Um, I can kind of understand James Brown more just because a lot of it is these you know these these beats that the that the that sort of building up from you know building up from certain beats and so he could probably give he could probably right. give names to them and and um, but but something you know something like this song I mean just to ma- it's hard to me it's like it's it's like you're getting a slice inside his brain really to really break down those parts. That's how I felt when I was listening to the, to the, uh, the part, the, the kind of vocalist version and breaking it down. I'm like, this is almost like a, like a, you know, MRI scan or something of somebody's, you know, creative, um, 
creative brain because it's just so everything it, that goes on is so specific and apparently that specificity came from Van Vliet and 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 it's unusual that he even returns yeah, to it yeah. as and when I say he I'm I'm kind of referring to the the band as a whole I don't as I I I know that Van Vliet the degree to which he he composed the music on these tracks varies but or can you know de- determined the structure of the track anyway varies but once so just when I'm using he as a pronoun, I'm I'm kind of they. It should be they. Uh, but yeah, the fact that it even does return but to an original part is fairly unusual via the standards of songs on this album, which frequently begin one place and end somewhere completely different and don't ever return back to something to give you a point. Yeah, of no, I I agree. I agree. Um, and sometimes it would be nice to have that point of reference, like. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, like that, the stuff uh, you know. I'm, I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll listen to the podcast, but Pachuco Cadaver starts off with this really kind of like a, it's like a groove. It's like a kind of a boogie woogie groove, or I don't know what, what you'd call it, but it's you know, sort of like pleasingly conventional in, in the context of the rest of the album. And and um, um, but it only lasts, it lasts for less than a minute, and then kind of like something else comes, you know, grinds in. Kind yep. of like, oh, whoa, you know, I missed that beginning, and um, uh, and actually, what it moves into is very beautiful. I think it's a really, I, I love that song. It's just, I, it's just, a, you know, it's kind of a who I think French calls it a kind of samba like sequence. Uh, it's just a great song, but 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 you 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 start off and and you kind of think you're in a regular song for in, in, in for almost yeah, it's like very very. Uh, one of the few songs in the album where you really feel like, well, you know, this, this could be a, like a like a blues rock song on a different album, and right. then, but you only get about forty seconds of it, and then, bam, you know, you got another another riff comes in. Um, forty, see, even forty seconds is long. Uh, I think you know he, he's he he does things in more units of like twenty seconds. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this story on another episode of this this podcast, but there was a um, a great old uh, Chicago band called U.S. Maple, and someone described being at one of their shows as like constantly like waiting to rock, like being prepared to rock, but the moment where you rock never lasts lasts very long or never quite gets there in the way that you expect. It's like, oh, okay, here they're they're building up, we're gonna rock. Oh, nope, I guess we're not. It's something else now. And then, oh, wait, here it comes, here it comes. Here. Nope, nope, never mind. They're doing something else. So it's the same kind of like frustration of expectations. Yeah, my friend who, uh, my musician friend um, who, hi there, I'm sure he's listening, um, is um, he called it an implied groove on this song. I really liked that, that analogy. Yeah, I like that. And, yeah. um, you know, because you, th- you sort of like are, you know, uh, you know, you, you said there was the polyrhythmic part, and I know I think I know which part you mean. It's the opening minute where you said the guitars are kind of going back and forth um, on this, you know, on sort of interconnected but not quite identical riffs. But I, as far as I can tell, there's not, not a whole lot of syncopation in that first part. Like it's it, it's pretty mm-hmm. like if you were going to do a dance to it, it would be you know you know pretty much rocking back and forth or something. You know, it wouldn't. Um, it's like it's not. It's um, um, popular. yeah. The syncopation doesn't really kick in until that that bass breakdown where they um, 
where it kicks down to nothing but the drums and and Boston's bass part, which which is borderline funky. I know it's so far awesome, as to say, an awesome part, and it's like you could build a whole song out of that. Just return to that, you know. I mean, it just it, it's it, you know, and it, but it just you know, I mean, how I, I can tell you the how long it lasts. It's it it lasts eight seconds in my in my when I listen to it eight seconds yeah. of funk and it's just like and all he sings is you can bring your dress and your favorite dog and then the other instruments come in and he sings then your husband's cane and your old spotted hog so it's like you know it's just it's it's like a transitional moment whereas for somebody else you could milk a whole song out of that you know um oh absolutely and yeah. um uh but but you know beefheart is just not interested in 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 doing that um he's he uses it as a transition um and i mean to me it's it's nice because like sometimes i feel like i can't really hear um the bass on this album the way i want to i think if the bass is mixed pretty low um unfortunately um, yeah that's true and so it's nice to like just hear the bass um uh but it's it's definitely not uh it's it's not a it's a it's a sort of a it's a sort of stop on the way rather than a rather than any kind of structure structural structuring element i know in the the email exchanges that we've had and i i don't know to what degree you you want to get into this or not but but you mentioned that um Trout Mask for you has some similarities with, um, or some point similar points of, of uh, reference with Miles Davis's "On the Corner." Um, I think I was just listening to them both at the same time. I mean, I think that they, uh, I mean, I think that they're they're probably um, created very differently. I I think that probably the thing I associate with both of those albums is that they is that they just to me sound very contemporary like you it's almost like musically we haven't quite caught up with with them with either album mm-hmm. um not that there's necessarily a a similarity between them as musically but just that they're both they're both to me like almost kind of futuristic albums even now and i'm and i think you know and then they're probably albums that people don't really listen to either. If you have them, you might you might have them, but not listen to them because they're. Well, I don't understand that for on the corner, honestly. I mean, it just sounds like kind of regular music. I can't understand it for for Troutmaster Replica. But at the time, on the corner, I got a lot of shit from from traditional jazz listeners and critics, and I think it was because he was just he was in doing something that was closer to to you know kind of an r&b groove um but i right I, but i i just i just mean that they're both such original records and they're such you know such distinct sounds that i don't i mean i think honestly i mean it's a, they still sound very contemporary to me and they well they're both very rhythmic mm-hmm. albums too yeah. it just in different ways like on the corner is based around like these bone deep grooves that that you know keep going to the the point of um repetitive isn't the right word but it's the the hypnotic quality of of the groove that everyone um delves into which sometimes makes me think of like can or or one of the uh you know uh, noi or one of the german bands around that time 
you know, gen- yeah, the thing about can is that Jackie Liebitzite was, I mean, they, they were making music like that, but in real time, the, the, like, like the Miles right. Davis albums were, 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 were you know, Teo Macero, I think that's how you say his name, kind of like took a lot of snippets and created albums from them. But, 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 but can is, um, I mean, it, it, maybe you already have, you can get a hold of a, of a 1972 or 1973 concert recording of can do it i think so there's some on youtube i mean they, they could play, they could mm-hmm. actually play that stuff they could play it live i mean jackie lee said is a tremendous drummer oh my gosh but just just incredible music um whereas i you know i um i i don't know how well i think beefheart could sort of recreate these songs live Miles Davis had a killer live band at that time, 1972, 1973. I think they had a little bit of a different repertoire. Um, if you can get a, mm. there's a great recording. I mean, any, like, oh man, like Miles Davis live in 1973. I think there's a really good one in Vienna. Anyway, I'm just sort of like delving into the, the land of, I, I listen to a lot of bootlegs is what I'm trying to say. Um, but, um, it, 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 but, um, I think that what am I trying to say here? It's all such great stuff. I I think in terms of kind of being able to recreate it, um, Can was a group, whereas Miles Davis was more of an ensemble. And that he has, I mean, there, there's stuff that he did live that he that's just not on albums. That's why I think he just started re, you right. know, re- releasing live albums. Um, but. Um, you know, Trout Mascarpa, those those people sort of dissipated after a while, and 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 it's either you know new bands had to learn those arrangements, which which they did, but the um, but the you know it's sort of hard to it's hard to replace the different personnel. It just sounds different. I mean, you know, uh, mm-hmm. with my decals off, it sounds great. It just sounds different, or you know, Clear Spot. It sounds it sounds great, but it's a it's produced by a traditional rock producer, and he he got Van Vliet to actually, you know, sound like a fairly to actually yeah, rehearse. really conventional artist. And he you know obviously he banned the he banned the sax from the studio. So I just think that the Trap Mask is is really just a one time thing. I mean i i um I don't I, I don't I mean. It'd be interesting to see like how many of those songs actually, st- you know, stayed in his his live repertoire, um, but I don't think a whole lot of them did. I was kind of going through, yeah, you know, just the, you know, just like you know Van Vliet set lists last night, looking to see how he had, play- you know, how long he'd played this particular song, and I didn't see, I, you know, it's like he had a certain you know, a certain number of, 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 of songs from his album that stayed in his repertoire, but not always the ones you'd think, like Pachuco Cadaver. I mean, I think there's just that one version of it on the album. Whereas if you want My Human Gets Me Blues, you can choose from 1975, 1980, 1969, acapella. I don't know. Um, somebody's covered it. There's a cover of it on on YouTube. I mean, there's just a, there's a lot of versions. Um yeah it is it is interesting to see the the different incarnations of the magic band what it it does seem like there were one or two songs from trout mask that would get that would get the live treatment um but that uh generally it was generally speaking just those that we we didn't you know you didn't hear wildlife played live or you didn't hear um 
you know, there aren't a whole hell of a lot of live versions of, of, I don't know that they ever played Daka blues live or, um, something like yeah, that. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I think, I think maybe there's like kind of five songs that kind of cycled in and out, but, um, because you'd have to rehearse them. I mean, who you know the bands that you know the bands that learned that played my human gets me blues. They had to re- they had to rehearse them. They had to rehearse that song. Whether he was there or not doesn't matter. They still had to rehearse it uh, to get that to get that arrangement. I mean, he didn't. He wanted that arrangement over the years, um, and so you know. No, I think I think it was a you know it was a pretty album was a you know it sort of exists mostly as an album, um, an an unduplicable achievement. Yeah, even for him, I mean he's got other great albums, but um, but there you know that one you know you know that that was that was pretty much it. Um, and he he you know I mean it's you can't really get people to stay inside one house for eight months for every album. Um, I mean, I think I, 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 I got, I got pretty much everything in that I had in my notes that was really important. Um, uh, so no, I think I'm, I think I, I think I've got my, I think I've said my piece about my human gets me blues. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening.